Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, Radio New Zealand's web-only sports show. I'm Barry Guy. This week we hear more about the use of prescription drugs in sport. The Black Caps are about to start their campaign to win the T20 Cricket World Cup. It's the end of an era for the New Zealand Breakers Basketball Club. And what future does baseball have in New Zealand? The rugby world was shocked this week with revelations that two All Blacks were involved in the taking of sleeping pills and alcohol in the lead-up to a World Cup game in 2011. Following on from Rugby League's decision to start testing players for prescription drugs, Radio New Zealand Sport revealed that the night out which got All Blacks Israel Dag and Corey Jane in trouble ahead of the side's World Cup quarterfinal in 2011 was fuelled by the cocktail of sleeping pills and energy drinks. Players apparently stockpiled sleeping pills from overseas trips and would compete to see who could stay awake the longest. The New Zealand Rugby Union is to survey New Zealand teams in a bid to find out just how widespread the abuse of sleeping pills is. Stephen Hewson spoke with the Executive Director of the New Zealand Rugby Players Association, Rob Nicholl, who says they have known about the issue. What I'm aware of is that within professional rugby in New Zealand, um, we would be naive to think that practices like this that are taking place in other sports wouldn't find their way into rugby. And so, so that's a we yes. asked our guys two years ago and they said at the top level it's a concern around uh, prescription medication. And so we've taken steps to try and address that. And I, I don't know that you can do too much more than that. I mean, one thing that we were pretty pleased about is the fact that our guys were prepared to tell us that, look, we're concerned about it. And so we've worked on it. And by top level, I'm talking super rugby, all blacks environment, absolutely. And uh, But once again, I, I want to differentiate between the there's abuse and then there's, there's the situation, this grey area where it becomes very loose and the management of prescription medication within the environment or the way in which players um, approach prescription medication, their attitude they take towards it. You know, I think what our guys are telling us is we've become really loose in this respect and, uh, and we need to tighten it all up. Would you be or do you have any qualms about players being tested for these prescription drugs as the NRL is about to introduce? Would you, would you encourage a similar policy? No, I wouldn't, because um, at this stage, I I think you've got to be really careful in this space around just jumping to a testing regime. You know, all all our experiences have indicated it starts with education and awareness and and support for young people making good decisions. And it is not a good decision to abuse prescription medication, to take illicit drugs or to engage in alcohol to an excessive level. Absolutely not. And so you start with that, that space. The second phase, we would say, is if you become concerned about an athlete, rather than randomly testing all athletes and looking to try and catch people out, sit down and confront them. You know, we have strong processes within our collective agreement within the Rugby Environment New Zealand. Sit down and raise the issue with the person concerned or the people concerned and confront them on it. Following that, you've still got some concerns. Then look at the various tools available to you, and one of those could well be a testing regime for those particular people that you're concerned about, absolutely. So I think it's about a staged approach. I think jumping straight to random testing isn't as an extreme. I, I think the really where it starts is education and awareness and then confronting a group or an individual if you've got concerns 
and if you've still got concerns after that, looking at then um, how you're able to utilise things like random testing, um, professional expertise, uh, and, and various, uh, if you like, programmes uh, designed to help a, help a player or to deal with the situation, including your misconduct procedures and, um, and the consequences and sanctions that can be imposed through that. So I think it's about a staged approach. But if you've got nothing to hide, why would you be worried about testing? And it would be done with any other drug testing that's already been undertaken. Well, not necessarily. I mean, there's a number of factors you've got to bear in mind. Um, fundamentally, people have a right to privacy. And uh, secondly, you've also got this whole issue of cost. So I think it's about, uh, if you look at the WADA program, for example, we've got significant issues with the WADA testing program. It doesn't mean that we absolutely want a clean sport and we want uh, athletes to be free of performance-enhancing drugs. But the fact is that the WADA testing regime has been ineffective. Um, very, very rarely does the testing regime actually catch cheats. If it's not showing up people getting caught, the argument could be that the testing regime's working. No, I, I, I don't believe that is the case because we've been aware and we've watched careers, we've watched sports like cycling, we've watched many sports where athletes have competed for an extended period of time and subsequently been found to have been taking performance-enhancing drugs and the WADA testing regime has not been able to catch them. There are numerous athletes that have competed around the world across multiple sports for a whole career against those that have been doping and the WADA, the WADA testing regime hasn't protected those clean athletes. So... I don't think even WADA themselves acknowledge this. They have set up their own ineffectiveness committee to look at why their testing regime is ineffective. And it concluded that it wasn't as effective as it needed to be. So, you know, I, I'm not talking out of school here or, or making wild accusations. The bottom line is um, we all, all of us, agree that we want a clean sport and we want to um, keep cheating and, and performance drugs out of the system. The bottom line is WADA as a standalone testing regime hasn't been as effective as it, as it should have been. And, um, you know, everyone is working quite hard to work out how they can become more effective. But the point being that it doesn't just... The testing is not a one-stop um, shop. You know, ultimately it starts with education and awareness. And I would argue in respect to performance-enhancing drug, the second element is, is about self-policing. If you want to maintain integrity in sport, you can put all the rules and regulations you want in place. But ultimately what will maintain integrity of sport is the people that are involved in the sport themselves. And if you have a, a situation of self-policing where those that are concerned for the environment, those that are worried about how um, anti-doping or illicit drugs might be infiltrating their sport can actually go and raise the issue uh, free of compromise and on a confidential basis, I would argue that's probably more effective than any testing regime, um, and particularly one like WADA, which has not been that effective today. So if the NZRU comes to you and says, we want to implement something similar to the NRL, you, you won't be in favour of it? No, that's not the case at all. What we've said, and we're actually already working with the NCAU around what we do, is we're saying that the fundamental pillars to a, to a policy and approach in this particular space, to us, start with education and awareness and strong programs in that respect. Um, and that, that education and awareness needs to be supported by strong policy and regulation where it's appropriate. And we've already just recently agreed, for example, wagering and corruption regulations with the New Zealand Rugby Union. We already have an anti-doping regulation and framework in place. And we're now working on the, on the whole space of supplement use prescription drugs and illicit drugs. Um, secondly, beyond the, the regulatory policy framework and the education awareness, if you have a problem or concern with an athlete, then we already have processes, but our, our, our response would be, don't try and catch them out, if you like, by secretly running around doing random testing. Sit down at the table and confront them directly. But if you haven't got any evidence of it, you've only got a, a concern. It you don't need evidence. If you have a suspicion, if you have a concern for someone in your environment, you shouldn't sit behind a desk and not, not be prepared to sit down and say, hey, listen, 
we've heard these rumours or we've been watching you or we're actually concerned for your health and safety. We want to talk to you about this. I, I, we've got, we would never, ever stand in the road of that happening. If, if someone in the rugby environment from an administrator, coaching or team management perspective have a genuine concern for one of our young athletes, we would be the first to say, let's sit down and have the discussion. Uh, because one of the worst things we often see, not just in sport but in many environments, is people aren't prepared to do that. And, and we actually think that fundamentally that's really important. In the same way that if we have a concern, we will front it as well. Rob Nicholl from the New Zealand Rugby Players Association. This is Extra Time. The New Zealand cricketers start their T20 World Cup campaign this weekend against England and Bangladesh. It has been a summer to remember so far for the Black Caps with Test Series victories over the West Indies and India, as well as victories in limited overs matches. New Zealand's best ever result at a T20 World Cup was making the semi-finals in the inaugural tournament in 2007. One of the star performers over the summer has been batsman Ross Taylor, who has shown considerable restraint and composure in compiling his innings. Ben Robinson asked coach Mike Hesson if Taylor could revert to a more free-flowing style in the shortest version of the game. Oh, we're, we're pretty keen to see Ross head all around the ground, really. I think he's a, he's a better player. I mean, he's obviously a class player, but he's a better player when he accesses you know, 360 degrees. Um, we know he's got the slog sweep, but we also know he can... Um, score all around the ground with some power. So, um, you know, and against spin here, they know he's pretty strong on the slog sweep, so hopefully he can, can hit to other areas and ask them a few different questions. And I guess that means you'll be looking to players like Anton Devsic and Corey Anderson for some power hitting in that middle order. Um, yeah, probably, yeah. I mean, Anton's a, a possible finisher for us, but we've got, you know, Luke Bronke, um, Nathan, Corey, um, James Neesham, you know, um, Colin Munro. So we've got lots of we've got lots of power and lots of guys that have done really well for us in the T20. So um, you know, Anton's another one who could finish for us, but he could also bat at the top if we if we require it. Okay, so the batting lineup looking fairly strong. I'm wondering though, our kind of medium fast pace attack is there a danger that they could be fairly innocuous on on very flat Bangladeshi wickets? Uh, yep, it is. I mean, I think they like I said, depends how. Um, how used the surfaces are that we're playing on. Um, you know, Chittagong's slower again than Ducker, so we certainly won't expect to get any assistance from that. But um, I guess it's also your ability to, to um, have to show your variations under pressure, and that's something that all our all our seamers have certainly shown. But we've also got four spin bowling options within our lineup as well. So we've got um, you know we've got players that we think are capable of um, operating in different conditions. Of those four spinners, Ronnie Hira, Anton Devsic, Kane Williamson and uh, Nathan McCullum, which one of those do you think is going to be the most attacking? Um, well, it depends when they bowl, really. Um, you know, I think they're all they're all relatively orthodox bowlers, so um, it's more about the pressure you can create. But, I mean, Nathan's, I think he's ranked third or fourth in the world in T20, so he's he's obviously, um, you know, pretty formidable in this, this sort of format. Um, and Kane certainly developed his game. Um, you know, Ronnie and Anton sort of give us that left arm option. So um, I wouldn't say any of them are, you know, particularly going to rip through a side, but it's it's all about the pressure you can create and hopefully generate some wickets from there. So it's going to be containment and frustrate rather than bamboozle from our spinners? Yeah, I look, I don't think we have many many spinners that um, can bamboozle. I mean, Ashmal and Narayan are probably the two in the world that, um, everybody would love to have um, Sri Lanka have got Sina Nayaka and Mendes and um, you know that's why their sides will be um, you know pretty formidable in these conditions but 
uh, we think we've got some pretty talented spinners who you know who can operate in, in most conditions. I guess you'll also be looking to your quicks to be able to contain batsmen. So does that mean that your roster will rotate depending on who's bowling the tightest when it comes to your quicks? Oh look, we've got um, actually we've got four four quicks. You know, we're, at the most we'll probably play two because we've got two two all rounders. We might only play one depending on conditions. So. Um, you know, we've got, it's not so much a matter of being tight, it's a matter of having enough variations to contain guys when they're looking to hit you out of the park. You know, if you're consistent in what you do, often that's um, that's exactly what they're after. So uh, we've got experience in the likes of Kyle Mills and, and Tim Southey. We've also got, obviously, a bit of swing with Trent Bolt and, um, and Mitch McLennigan is obviously our you know, T20 player of the year last year. So he's, um, you know, he's, he mixes up quite nicely for us. Yeah, he's a very aggressive option, isn't he? But then there's a danger that he could be sent over the fence. Oh, look, I think anyone can get sent over the fence. I think that's the nature of T20. And, um, you know, unless you're you're able to pick up wickets, um, you know, it's going to continue for a lot longer. So, um, you know, it's all about the guys, how the guys adjust to conditions and uh, what we think is, is the right, you know, the right mix for the for that game. Just looking at our pool now, How's your homework coming? Which, which teams are you most worried about? We've got England, uh, South Africa and, and Sri Lanka in a qualifier yet to come. Yeah, well, obviously only two of the five go through. I think Sri Lanka are favourites for the World Cup, so they're, you know, they're obviously going to be probably the toughest side in our pool. Um, obviously used to those conditions. Just recently won the Asia Cup um, and obviously have a lot of bowling, so they're, you know, they're certainly, as I said, favourites for the, for the World Cup, but um, I think England and South Africa are sort of similar to us in terms of um, they probably rely more on their seamers than they do their, their spinners. But, um, you know, we've had some recent experience in Bangladesh and, and hopefully that's going to you know, hold us in good stead. And I suppose we've got an advantage over England and, and South Africa in that we've had very good summers and they've been a little less fortunate. Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, South Africa are, you know, one of the two in the world in, in Test cricket. They've Sure, they lost a test match, but they're still a pretty formidable outfit. Um, and I don't think you can underestimate anyone in T20 cricket, really. You just need one or two guys to have a good day, and, um, and they're the difference between winning and losing. So we've just got to make sure we, we prepare well against England, and, and that's pretty much our focus at the moment. So how do you rate our chances then? Oh, look, I think we're, you know, we're a, a decent chance, but I think you know, even just getting through the first round is going to be tough. Um, as I said, two out of five teams go through, and... Um, you know there'll be two two pretty good sides that miss out and, and probably a qualifier as well. But um, in T20, anyone you know anyone can win on their day, and that's um, hopefully that's going to work in our favour. Black Caps coach Mike Hesson talking to Ben Robinson. The Breakers' disappointing season ends this week as their bid for a fourth straight Australian Basketball League title fizzled out before the playoffs. With their postseason chances officially over. The Breakers turned their focus to farewelling their retiring veteran guard CJ Bruton. Bruton came to the club in 2008 and was influential in turning the fledgling club into a powerhouse and three-time NBL champions. Alex Coogan-Reeves spoke to Bruton and asked whether he expected the success when he came to Auckland six years ago. Honestly, yes. Uh, everywhere I've gone, I've, you know, I've especially in the, my last like. For my Sydney days and the reason I went to Sydney was I could be a piece of that puzzle that could be successful um, and I was and obviously I got to play with an MVP and Matt Nielsen and play with some great players and guys that played for Australia played on the Olympic team uh, so you were able to to keep driving 
uphill, increasing your game, increasing everyone's game around you to, to make it where you're a force to be reckoned with throughout the league where teams, they come in and they, they feel like they've got a shot but then they also know that if this game gets, if it even gets close, they don't, ha they don't really have a shot at winning the game. And obviously leaving Sydney, I left there with, um, so to speak, uh, my heart was, was hurting. Um, I didn't leave on the right terms and part of that was the club, part of that was uh, I was more upset that I just, that the way it ended with Sydney, that it wasn't, it wasn't like my, I felt my time there, it, they ruined my time there from what I helped, helped achieve during that time. And I was went to Cleveland, uh, worked out with the Cavaliers and LeBron and, and Mike Brown, and they told me I had a spot. And then to have a sore heart, and they said you're in. And then my wife flies over, and then find out that really you're not in, and they're going to go a different direction. It's like, well, you know, what do you do? Everyone says, oh, you've done everything right, and you just, you just, an, it's a numbers game right now. And you know, when you've Sacrifice what I've sacrificed to get to that point. I almost missed out on making the world championships. That hurt even more. I was going to miss out on a goal and a dream to represent my country more so than to play in the NBA uh, and get that second shot. I just thought that can, I can let this hurt me or I can grow from this. And obviously with the Sydney thing still stinging in the back of my mind and uh, Joey Wright being in Cleveland at the, at the time, you know, working out, good friends with uh, Lance Blanks. Uh, signing with Brisbane, a uh, team that I was beating, beating up uh, in Sydney to go join them and to know that I was just going to be another piece. Uh, when our team folded, uh, the opportunity came to come to New Zealand. I just thought that we can get, oh, I can be a piece of that. <laughs> and there was another one, like I, I looked at it and saw, saw Mika Vakona, obviously, and then he ended up leaving. I just knew that coming back with Dylan, I knew Kirk was a great scorer and a great player in person and obviously never playing, just playing against the Tall Blacks, it just made a big difference. Uh, I didn't see a lot of tallbacks playing in the Australian competition, joining other teams, and just to be able to join them, being a being an elite player for Australia at that time, to come and help uh, help New Zealand basketball uh, get the same recognition in our competition, and being a part of that, uh, and helping some of these guys win their first title, I wanted to be a part of that to to show them what I've experienced over my time, and to share that with them was going to be a, a special moment, and I hope it was very special for them because for me it was like. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, let, you know, the, I just see that the pieces were, were all aligned, and obviously Andre uh, from Paul and Liz Blackwell, as I told them, to Richard, to Andre, and uh, the, you know Kevin Braswell coming in, to Cedric coming in. You know, everything plays its part, and obviously my role changed over time, but I still played a a, a part to slide in there and make sure that you know if things were going off the rails or certain things weren't weren't hitting points that I I know at certain times of the season I can step in and and let everyone know exactly that this is not going to be acceptable and, and set, keep setting the standards even though you know you have a coach and everyone else in place that can do that. And, and then the challenge, you know, to see certain guys, to need, you need to see certain guys elevate their game uh, and know that they have it in there, but how do you get it out of them? And obviously I love the challenge on the floor and try and drive them to a point where, not, not where you're going to leave in tears or you, you want to fight me, but a point where... I need to see you stand up, and if you can stand up now for three or four days and carry your team or be a, a major part of why your team wins at practice every day, I have no doubt when it comes game time in front of 15,000 people, hey, you'll stand up, you know, and the swag and this, this group shine, and that's why you have the banners that you have here. Oh, no, this is it for the break. This is it for CJ Bruton, full stop this week. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I love the game. 
Um, I'm going. I'm going to go and train. I'm not going to lie. My off season, I'm, I'm going to spend a lot of time training and keeping keeping right. But uh, it, it might be. It, it, it might be. I'd, I I can't just turn around and say that I'm just going to go and run to the, the next team that calls me because uh, I won't. Um, obviously, whatever. If I get a role somewhere, playing or not playing, it has to be pretty decent for me to accept it. Uh, but. You know, who knows? I've seen a lot of a lot of different scenarios. There's been a few injuries around the league. I might fill in, you know, one or two games, you know, just to represent somebody and come out and come play against the Breakers or, or represent the Breakers if someone gets hurt. They might call me back just for a game or two. You think that happened? Do a Casey Frank. <laughs> hey, if Casey can do it. Why can't I? <laughs> have, there been, have there been any talks or any interest, or is it? No, just I'm not. Waiting? I'm not talking. To, I'm not going to talk to no one. They, this is. When you do business the right way, I feel like everything, everything can fall in line. And when you're with a club, be true to that club. When your time's done, then you're able to talk and do whatever you want to do. If you talk or don't want to talk, that's fine with me too. So enjoy the moment. I guess for a competitor like you, though, if you weren't playing, do you see maybe uh, when you start watching the season next year, you might, might sort of think, oh, maybe, maybe I can come back and play a few uh, more games. I don't know. I think every, every part of you, I think it's hard for any basketball player when it's over. Some, some want to get away quicker or sooner than later because um, of all the hard yards that you put into the game. Um, I, honestly, I just I truly love this, this game. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a big part of my life and it's helped me achieve and see the things, uh, not only what what happens on the floor but off the floor about life and how it can can change people's lives and how it can take from people's lives and uh, watch it you know with my father and what he's gone through and what he's still gone through and how much he still cares for it um, I, I appreciate what it, what it brings but also know that there's there's a time when you have to you know it's going to be over with if it's here it's here but um, I'll still be a part of the game in helping kids uh, achieve what they they want to achieve and to to reach higher than what CJ Bruton's reached. Maybe one day CJ Bruton NBL coach, breakers coach. Maybe you you never say never. <laughs> hey, I I thought I'd never come over here, but you never say never. I ended up here for the breakers, and so hey, you never close the door. CJ Bruton talking to Alex Coogan Reeves. This is extra time on Radio New Zealand. The New Zealand football premiership was decided this week with Auckland City beating Team Wellington in the final. Both sides now qualify for Oceania Champions League action. Auckland and Waitakere have dominated domestic football, but the region is missing out at the higher level, with of course the Wellington Phoenix playing in the A-League. Richard Wayne attended the premiership final and talked to New Zealand football's high-performance manager Fred de Jong, who says the standard of New Zealand football premiership is on the up. Especially at the top end, I think the competition's been very good. Uh, it's been very close, um, and you've also seen, you know, some sort of new, the like, like we've seen here, Team Wellington you know, have a have very good season. Hawks Bay's had a very good season as well. So it's been sort of the breaking of the uh, Auckland City Waitakere um, uh, sort of competition uh, this year. And also, we've seen uh, the Phoenix taking on the likes of uh, Riera and Hicks, and they've proved, uh, you know, not only up to the standard, but you know, yeah, to even excel in the in the A League. That's a good sign for development from the Premiership to the A League, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And I think you've got to give Ernie uh, Mac real credit for, you know, for scouting out of the ASB Premiership and then uh, and then committing and signing players from the ASB Premiership. So uh, I think, especially over Riera, 
had uh, has, a fan, has had a fantastic season until he got injured um, and made a real difference to the Phoenix and they've really missed him since he's been gone. So I think that's his, that speaks volumes about the Premiership. Now, I don't know if you heard any word about the um, possible expansion plans of the A-League and, and Auckland City maybe getting in there. I saw Vuksic from uh, you know, City talking about it this week in the, in the media. But do you think that's a possibility? Do you know anything about that? Um, well, I've heard that the FFA are looking at expanding it. Now, they've obviously tried that in the past. Um, I think they'll be looking to make it in a very controlled manner um, with any expansion that they do do. Um, and I think if Auckland uh, could put up a, a, re- a really credible... Um, franchise, um, then I think there's there's no reason why the FFA wouldn't look at that. Um, but it's expensive; it takes a lot of money. Um, but it would, from a from a, a footballing perspective, it would give you know, uh, a lot of the New Zealand players double the opportunity to get into a professional setup, which can can't be anything but a good thing. City have proven that they can compete with the big boys, uh, you know, to an extent at least at the Club World Cup. You think they can make the step up to the A League as well easily enough? Um, oh, it's a big step. It's a, it is a, it's a, it's a very, very big step. Um, you know, obviously, they'd have to get in extra players. I think the whole club, if it was to be an Auckland City-type um, uh, organisation, you know, the, the, there'd, be a, there'd be a big um, a big step up for, for the whole club to hit the A-League standard. Um, but you know, they've got, they've got a, a really good groundwork here. And uh, if it was to be any, any club in Auckland, you'd, you'd look at Auckland City as being the model. I guess venue would be the big, uh, one of the big issues, wouldn't it? Um, you know, this is a fantastic place where we're at, but um, you'd have to put up some stands and so on. I mean, the Phoenix are looking at a model of maybe an 8,000, 10,000 seat stadium, and that would make the money. Do you think they could do it here, or would they have to go somewhere else in Auckland? Oh, I don't think Kiwi Tears Street would be up to it. Um, so you need, you need 10,000, uh, because that's going to be about the break-even, 10,000 people each week, and Kiwi Tear, you know, is, you just put too much pressure on the facilities here. It's just not big enough. So they'd have to look at another venue. Um, and, yeah, that's an interesting question in Auckland, given the scale and the scope and where their venues are, you know, trying to get people to those venues. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting equation. All right, final question, just on the All-Whites and the coach. Um, is there anything in the pipeline, any news on the, um, you know, the process involved in appointing yep. the new coach? Uh, so, I mean, we're still going through the All-White review at the moment um, from the previous campaign. As soon as that's done, um, and we look at the learnings out of that campaign, uh, we'll advertise for a new coach, and uh, we'll go through that process. So no time frame, no no, no change to the time uh, frame. No, so no, nothing no. before what October. No, no, the next the next window, official window is uh, is September, but uh, we'd be hopeful to have something well in place by then. Fred De Jong from New Zealand Football. Baseball New Zealand is leading a delegation in Sydney as they try to secure an American MLB game in Auckland. Australia is hosting the MLB's opening series between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Arizona Diamondbacks for the first time, bringing some of the game's top officials to the country. The Baseball New Zealand Chief Executive Ryan Flynn has travelled to Sydney along with representatives from the Auckland Council, Eden Park and Sky Television for meetings with the teams and MLB officials. Alex Coogan-Reeves spoke to Flynn about the plans to bring the MLB to New Zealand and the state of the sport in this country. We've, we feel like we've kind of turned a corner um, and got more buy-in from the key individuals, you know, for, for television, for uh, grounds, you know, the number one stadium in the country, Eden Park, for uh, Auckland tourism, economic development and events, and uh, good support from 
the prime minister, you know, we briefed him the other day on what we're doing. His son was a baseball player for six or seven years. Um, so we, we've we've finally shown the right people that this country could be a very strong baseball program. Because at the end of the day, if you're not developing some baseball players, um, you know, then then what are you doing? You know, and so we've got a lot of kids streaming to colleges in Taiwan and America, North America, uh, kids getting signed, and um, that's led us to this point where. We, we we're, we're able to show in our own backyard uh, what Major League Baseball can do for the economy and the growth of the game here. So you have had a obviously a bit of buy-in from uh, the Auckland Council, at, and that they're willing to sort of help help fund this potentially. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, we know that we have to get um, into a, get to a place where we have our own national facility, like most sports do in this country. Rather, you know whether it be the cyclists, obviously the rugby players, the cricket players have their grounds. You know, baseball, we've got quite a few kids aspiring to something more and needing to play full full year-round. Auckland is un- undoubtedly our hub in this country right now, and we've had a lot of great talks with Auckland Council, regional facilities, Auckland, uh, finding the right piece of land, hopefully soon, um, that will be the site of our national facility. We believe we've got some private investors as well that will help. Um, and that's part of the overall plan to grow the game. And, 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 you know, if we are able to attract Major League Baseball players here to play all, an all-star game or regular season games, those games would take place at Eden Park. But everything else would happen at our own national facility that we're looking to um, dig into pretty soon here. And so who will you be meeting with exactly in Sydney? Sure. We, we've got meetings lined up with the top officials from Major League Baseball. Um, hopefully Tim Brosnan, uh, one of the top guys in New York for MLB, um, James Pierce, Paul Archie. These are the top international uh, folks for MLB. That's Friday afternoon. And uh, Saturday morning we meet with the ownership in the front office of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And you, you might remember um, the Arizona Diamondbacks sent some of their people, including first baseman Paul Goldschmidt, here in November, and we had the clinics at Eden Park um, with Goldschmidt. So we've had an ongoing relationship with uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, San Diego Padres, and we're going to try to get in front of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Magic Johnson is rumored to be there, one of the owners, and um, we have a, a full presentation that we'll do. It's a combination of... Um, uh, uh, of slides and information from AT, Eden Park, Sky TV, the U.S. Embassy. You'll remember that um, the new U.S. Uh, ambassador is uh, Mark Gilbert, a former Major League Baseball player who will be based in Wellington within the next couple of days. So we've, we've gotten lucky there as well. And as you sort of uh, put it, elbowing in on Australia is a big week. Yep. How have the Australian authorities sort of... Uh, Responded that they're quite happy for you to come and do this sort of thing. They don't see it as a threat in well, any way. Some do, uh, some do a little bit, but I think I think the, the wise ones understand. We have a lot of friends over there, and the wise ones want us to rise up because, again, Australia has been all alone in Oceania for the last 25, 30 years when it comes to the sport of baseball, and they've done a tremendous job building a world-class baseball program on their own. And we can only strengthen that effort where. We need them right now, but I, you know, we've said to them, you need us as well, you know, because together we can build that rivalry that will, that will do good things for both nations and our kids who are trying to get somewhere. And our, and our kids psychologically believe there'll be some 
there'll be a few roadblocks when we're over there, I imagine, but we've got the meetings that we wanted to secure. They're secure now, and we have a lot of contacts throughout Major League Baseball and Japan Professional Baseball, and we're meeting with the right people. We'll be at the right events, and I'm very confident in the group we're bringing over. It's a high-level delegation, and I think we'll do a good job for the country. And I guess you must feel that you're in a strong position given that how much MLB has shown a desire to expand internationally that you can put a really good case for that this is a place to come to? Yeah, look, Auckland, Auckland is one of the greatest cities in the world. It's at the top of the charts in every ranking, you know, in terms of living quality, standard of living. You know, in New Zealand as a whole as well, it's one of the most amazing countries in the world. Everybody wants to be here. Everybody wants to come here and visit. It's on everybody's bucket list. Um, you know, Australia is doing us a favor by, by all the work that they've done over the past 20, 30, 40 years. And now we can take advantage of some of their um, work and, and hopefully move this needle forward a little more quickly than they even did. And together, um, we can be known as one of the top baseball regions in the world, you know, and, and hopefully go up into the islands. We're kind of the gateway to the Pacific, uh, New Zealand more than Australia is. And, you know, it, just like rugby, rugby league with the Samoans and the, um, the Fijians and the Tongans and the Cook Islanders, a lot of those kids can swing a bat, too. So really, we're the pivot point, and I, and I, and I think we're pivotal to the growth of the game in this part of the world, and, and thrilled that Major League Baseball is bringing these games out. It's a, it's a huge project, and it took seven years to get to this point, and let's hope it only takes a couple years for us to get an MLB All-Star team uh, to Eden Park, and uh, then we'll be pretty happy as well. Because, again, we, there are a lot of people that want to play this sport in New Zealand, and it's just about having resources. We run this sport on very, very little, despite what some people think. Um, we believe that's going to change, and it is changing, but, you know, we've been running it on $250,000 a year for a few years here. That's uh, Cricket New Zealand probably spends that in a day, you know. So, and we don't make excuses. Um, we get on with it, but it, it'll be nice when, you know, look at what we've done with nothing. Wait till you see what we can do with something. It's kind of our motto. Do you have a set date in mind where you want something by all going well? Is that sort of 2016 we're looking at? 2016 would be perfect if we were able to get a, an MLB All-Star team out in November or December after that season. It seems to be a good – there seems to be an opening on the, on the Auckland and New Zealand calendar with Cricket's World Cup next year, and then 2017 is the World Masters Games, and there's you know, football, you know, under-21 events and – you know, so 2016 seems to be a nice window if we're able to uh, pull this off, you know, talk to the right promoters and, and tick the right boxes. Um, it would do a world of good to have a full day, festival day at Eden Park, um, you know, with some of the best Major League Baseball players in the world and maybe some of the best Japanese and Korean baseball players playing one another with, with our boys, our Diamond Blacks, getting, getting involved in the mix because our kids – you know, played again, played very well in the World Baseball Classic and shot our rankings up from really effectively last in the world, unranked, to 28th, the largest move in the past year of any nation in the world. So our kids need more opportunities to play baseball, and this would be a, a big shot in the arm for the country and for our program, for sure. And then, so that goes well down the track, I guess you'd love to have a MLB regular season game here like they're having in Australia. There's no question, no question. I mean, if they're going to do every four years in Australia, maybe we can get to the point, you know, in four years where we can do, if we did two years an all-star game, 
and then four years if, if there was a way to do it together where they could get two games in Melbourne and, or Sydney and we could get one game at Eden Park. Um, that would be, I'd say, ideal if we could pull that off. Good luck to Baseball New Zealand. That's extra time for this week. I'm Barry Guy. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.